welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Diversity Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Today, we are looking at gay women, and we are going to be discussing from lived experiences and thoughts and considerations with two gay women today, with a view to educating managers and co-workers about how they should conduct themselves and behave themselves around gay women. And if you are a gay woman listening, we will also be touching on the kind of things that you could expect or should expect in terms of treatment and behaviour and how, if it's negative, to combat that. So today I have the absolute delight of being joined by Lauren Bagley, Chief Partnership and Marketing Officer of You Insure, and Vicky Kenny, Business Development Advisor, Intermediaries for Lead Building Society, and their Chair of the LBGTQ Network. So Vicky, let's start with you right at the beginning. What are the issues, if there are any, about being a gay woman in the mortgage industry? Thanks, Brett. So I definitely would go down with the very obvious stream that the financial services, obviously mortgage and and savings, etc. It's quite male dominated, even though obviously this is changing, becoming more diverse. I think when you come in as a lesbian or a bisexual woman, there's a kind of a stigma around the sexualization of being part of this minority. So it definitely can sometimes hinder. And I think you do come through that biased of, oh, is, is this what I'm going to expect, you know, inappropriate questions or are they going to look at me in a different way when you do join? So it's always that stigma. But I definitely think sometimes that knowledge of who you are sexually, it can lead to inappropriate questions or inappropriate comments. And I think it's finding that fine line between is this something that I could, you know, maybe take away myself and have a Google at if I'm really curious? Or do I have that relationship with this colleague yet to sit and ask genuine questions that you come in from a good place, you want to educate yourself. But it's also, I think, finding that middle ground to make both parties happy and comfortable to discuss that. But I think also keep in mind that you are in a professional environment. Would you ask every co-worker about certain parts of their life identity with their partner or past partners, etc.? So, I definitely think it's just that consideration into it. If you are curious, is it my coworker or employee? Is it the best person to ask these questions for? So definitely finding that niche is, is it appropriate? Do I have that relationship? And am I finding out because I'm being maybe nosy or am I genuinely curious to make my workplace a more diverse place because I've got that understanding now? So you did discuss when we talked about it that initially you felt that when you did come out to people, you sort of felt there was a reduction in their respect for you. Yeah, when I came out, I'd just started work. I'd just start, I was 17, as I said, just come out, just started working. So it were, it were brand new to me. So when I was getting questions or things asked, I worked with a predominantly older generation as well, which I think the people that I worked with, it was still very, 
I had comments such as, oh, you know, you're still young. You, you might be going through a phase or experimenting. And as I said, when I just come out, you kind of soak everything in and you're thinking, oh, am I? And you question yourself. And I think that was very confusing for myself as well. But I know that definitely because I was young, I felt that people felt they had the confidence to say more comments to me, as in, is it going through a phase or I don't understand it. And, you know, off the cuff comments that because these colleagues have experience, you don't want to step on anybody's toes. I think it was the thought that could say more things to me. And then that in turn, obviously, I felt like I'd lost a bit of respect from people in that area, not necessarily outright homophobic, but because of their opinions and views that they felt so happily to just display to me when looking to go for a promotion or to take extra responsibility it was always in the back of my mind of well I've had these comments said is that going to hinder me or is it going to change their reflection of me because they think that they can't take me seriously because I'm confused as such or things like that so it definitely did spark from the beginning of my career kind of a negative outlook on speaking so freely and being who I was essentially. I do hope that that has changed now. Uh, Yeah definitely I think because I'm more comfortable and I have that confidence and I do think I mean I'm still young myself I'm only 25 and I started working when I was 17 so that was seven or eight years ago and a lot has changed a lot as employers and I know definitely from Leeds Building Society point of view the way that they've tackled the diversity and inclusion strategy and pushed forward it's more of if you do have these opinions yeah it's not okay to say it's sad that people might do but it's definitely been become more of if you do have these opinions it's something that they're not aware of and you need to keep to yourself because it's not appropriate it's not okay and hopefully in the long run you know maybe educating people that do but more so are these the kind of people that we want to work with so it definitely has got a lot better as the years have gone on and lauren you didn't really experience much in the way of that sort of almost prejudicial but negatively disposed attitude in your career, did you? No, I didn't. Obviously, I take Vicky's point in terms of, you know, everyone's experience is slightly different. And I think Vicky had a good point really on the generational side of how people talk about being gay. So you take Dame Kelly Holmes as an example. Like it can be still excruciatingly painful to come out because I think in her instance, it was to do with her army career and status as a celebrity. But I think there is a sort of generational shift because you look at the flip side of that and you see children and younger people that don't have the same fear and it's totally, you know, a non-subject, totally unknown to them really, some of the struggles that generationally people have gone through to get to where they are today but yeah in terms of my own personal experience in my career I can't say that it's it's made a difference at all I first came out if you like in my early 20s so around 15 years ago now and I think that initial experience of coming out to colleagues was a a little bit of a, a shock many of them you know knew me well some of them also knew about sort of my previous relationships with men so perhaps pretty understandable but I dragged this process of coming out over a number of years. And I think one of the things that's always stuck is it still continues to this day in terms of coming out because every new interaction with somebody has the possibility of needing to explain it at some point. And whether that's moving jobs into a new team or chatting with someone at dinner at an awards evening, there's been some occasions there really where, you know, someone might ask about 
my family, you know, see the engagement ring on my finger and then completely unintentionally make reference to a boyfriend or soon to be husband. So it's an invisible diversity. So it's not easy to think about the impact of these discussions sometimes. So again, I'm coming from this as a heterosexual male. So when it comes to partners for gay women, is partner the right word? Is husband offensive or assumptive? Yeah, so I'd say husband is assumptive and partner is probably the safest word you could use. I mean, I think it should be good form for everybody just to say partner and not assume what shape, form, sexual orientation, etc. that partner is. But going back to you, Vicky, I'd like to talk a bit about the work that you do with Pride in, in Leeds and what that has brought to the company, to yourself, etc. Because there is this tendency, a word that I heard when we did a podcast with two gay men uh, in the mortgage industry, and the phrase was pinkwashing. They were not happy with some companies who, during Pride Week, stick the rainbow logo all over their website, etc., etc. And then after it's finished, that's it. They just go back to being not so quite pridey, if you see what I mean. And I'm sure that's not your experience, but what does Pride and being involved with the LBGTQ network do for you at Leeds? It's definitely something that we wanted to stand by. So this network's fairly new. We have a diverse group of forums. So we've got the Race and Ethnicity Forum, the Disability Forum. So anywhere where you might be a part of a minority or not fall into the standard capabilities of an everyday person, shall we say. We do have things like that and, and the work is ongoing all year round. It never stops. We have meetings once a month as a whole to see how we can better the society's policies or awareness and it's always spreading education you know pride was something we've taken part in for the first time this year at Leeds and it was amazing we had so much good feedback and honestly the majority of the people there weren't necessarily part of the LGBTQ plus community but they had family members or they just had that connection they wanted to be an ally for the day and you know we invited them to bring family and friends and it was so lovely to see so many children as well that came and things like that. it was such a, a great day but outside of that I can see how companies do get ridiculed for not having that but I can definitely say from a Leeds building site point of view we are working all year round to find the points that we need to hit and we're still learning ourselves you know we've got LGBTQ plus and those letters all sent for individual communities that at the moment we might not have someone in the network or the forum that represents that community so it's it's trying to find that need that if there is members of that particular community in the society how can we make them feel as comfortable to come join us and then you know shed their light on what we can do better so as I say for us I can't speak for other organisations it is all year round that we are continuously working and hitting the different days, you know, the, the different days in the calendar. So we've just had Bi Visibility Day, so Bisexuality Visibility Day. And one of those representatives put out an article and spoke about her experiences, what statistics of how people of that specific community feel compared to other members of the community. And biphobia itself is its own discrimination that can get experienced from people outside the community, inside of the community. And we always aim to share that and hit those key points of the day. And as I said, but also working towards the society's policies, how they can be more diverse, addressing recruitment, things like that. So it is something that we do work on continuously, not just when it's Pride Month or Pride time. Brilliant. I think Leeds is an exceptionally well-led organisation. Richard Fearon is amazing. And uh, Martez's commitment to Diversity Inclusivity Finance Forum is, is unquestioned, which is fantastic. Lauren, I want to move on to you and I want to talk to you about 
about stigmas and the stupid things that I'm assuming, mainly men, but we can't rule out possibly women, say to you, and also to talk to you about babies. And so talk us through some of the more stupid questions and comments you get. And maybe if you're happy, say to talk about what is the process for gay women to have babies. Yeah, so I definitely get who's the dad. I've had that a couple of times, not necessarily within the industry, just in the general environments I find myself in. And obviously that's massively painful when things like that are said because there is no dad. There's obviously sperm and two mums, two parents that are bringing up this child. But I mean, some of the conversations I have around sort of IVF and having children in, in particular, people are really interested and curious about how it works between gay couples, mainly because they've never needed to know or had any experience of it. So I do like sharing that whole experience of how Austin came to be because it creates more understanding and awareness of these things all of the time. And so just, just so that people understand next time they want to engage with this, do you mind sharing what the process is? Yeah, so we found a fertility clinic near where we live in Solihull and we went to a, a couple of sort of sessions about how it works and what different approaches you can take. And the, the approach that Sarah and I took was effectively to take my egg and put it into Sarah's tummy. So I went through a process of having injections. It was it was a nightmare actually for a couple of months and that boosts effectively the egg production um, in your body. Have a, a little minor operation and uh, you put in under general anaesthetic, they take those out. And then when you come round, I was totally delirious. I was actually trying to give my eggs away. I think the doctors came around and said, right, we've got 14 eggs. And I said, oh, I don't need that many. Can you give some away? And then the process after that is obviously they fertilise it and wait for Sarah to enter into a cycle that would be best to take the eggs and effectively put them in. And with IVF, it's quite good because you're kept under a really sort of strict process where you're sort of constantly going backwards and forwards for scans to check everything's okay. And fortunately for us, it was incredible because it was first time round and Sarah caught and that was the end of that really. And you said the questions, I suppose, as people learn more and more, the questions get less and less stupid and more and more inquisitive, genuinely inquisitive. That's great. And congratulations. Vicky, coming back to you, do you feel comfortable if there's a partner's event going to a partner's event with a same-sex partner? I definitely would. It's, as Laura mentioned earlier, it's kind of that introduction, you know, of no, is this your friend or, you know, the assumptions. And it's not to say that anyone's coming from a negative place, but it is kind of the, I want to say, in a word, ignorance. It's not that everybody's going to be in a heterosexual relationship. And I think sometimes people can ask and then you kind of read the body language, their eyes open a bit wider and then they feel the need to apologise. And and then there's some comments that come after that. I've had it before where we've been places together and industry events and it's been, oh gosh, I didn't even, well, you don't look gay. And it's kind of, well, all right, well, what do you want me to look like? And it's on the back of that of where it's completely harmless. But then in a way you are kind of offending people because why do I have to look a certain way to be in a relationship with a woman? And my partner at the moment, she don't wear makeup. She's got long hair and she likes to wear, um, not male clothes, but she feels more comfortable in like a baggy t-shirt and jeans. Whereas I like to get dressed up. I love my makeup, things like that. And then it falls into, oh yeah, so is she more of the man figure? And honestly, if when you get to know us, complete switch, just because we look like that, 
that on the outside. She's the biggest softie and I'm the one that wears the trousers. So it is just them assumptions when you meet people and how they look to how you perceive them. And I think it's just that everyone's a blank canvas and I think you should treat everyone as such. And as I said, if you do have them presumptions and you do think them comments, you've just got to think to yourself, is it appropriate to say? Would you really want to say that to everybody that you meet and, and things like that? So would I feel comfortable? Yes. But I'm always apprehensive of the comments that might come afterwards. So I used to get my back up quite a lot and used to spit back at people. You kind of got to just take it. I think you get used to it and you kind of become a bit numb and you kind of just waiting for them comments to come out. And it's so refreshing when you don't or you don't get them reactions. It's kind of like, oh, this is how normally it should be. But yeah, it's kind of then reining yourself back into not feeding to the anger and the confusion of it and do your best to educate when you can in them circumstances. I think the huge majority of people in our industry are, are embracing diversity they really want to learn and be conscious of how to interact with people and that includes myself and one thing that I don't want is to become oversensitive to offending me as an example because you're scared of saying the wrong thing we just need to get better and better all of the time so it becomes an unconscious part of society and behavior and how we act with one another and that's only going to come with time and people that want to learn and embrace diversity. I think you can normally tell when somebody genuinely says right I don't want to be offensive but could I ask you or when somebody sort of says it in an almost tongue-in-cheek way saying I am going to be offensive but I'm going to say I don't want to be offensive just to hide that. I think it's fairly easy to tell that but I don't think that you should be apprehensive. I mean, would you, Lauren, at a senior level, be comfortable taking your partner to any industry event? Yeah, absolutely would. I wouldn't give it a second thought, really. Excellent. We've moved on a long way then, because I'm sure that there would always have been apprehension. And in, in fact, there was some apprehension when we did the podcast with the two gay men. Lauren, you, you said that there are times when you are obviously over aware and actually quite uncomfortable about your orientation, like on holiday in Dubai and, and other places. Do you want to sort of like discuss that? Because not everywhere in the world is as positively disposed towards diversity and inclusion as we are here. I don't think about it a lot, but Sarah mentioned, my partner mentioned to me earlier in the summer, or should we go to Dubai over Christmas? And I I used to live there. So I spent a good chunk of my childhood over there in schools, obviously living abroad where my parents worked and then came back to the UK, obviously grew up, met my partner, had a child. And it only really dawned on me when she asked that question, do you want to go back to Dubai? Perhaps I wouldn't actually like to go back there. And you hear of stories, and I don't know the real ins and outs of it, but you hear of stories of whether it's gay men, particularly being arrested or incarcerated for being gay. And you just think of the little things. So like, you know, when you walk into a hotel, are they going to give me two separate beds or are they going to give me like a double? And it's those sort of conversations that sort of play through your head as to should I travel to that country? So yeah, that was just a a small example. Now, in terms of people, who, and this is your personal opinions, who do you think most needs to be educated in terms of their conduct and behaviour and awareness of gay women? Is it heterosexual men or is it heterosexual women? I know it's a leading question potentially, but I would be interested because I'll come back to why. I'd definitely say heterosexual men 
I think as a woman, you go through a bit of prejudice through life. Again, nowhere near how it used to be, but it's still rife and you still go through them little bits of discrimination as a woman. I always think that people that have gone through some sort of discrimination or in a minority have more of an understanding. And I think sometimes as like if you were a white man, for example, you might have gone through some everyday bits of life that has hardships and it's not to demonise everybody. But I think that it's more of an understanding when you've had that factor about yourself that you can't change, you can't change your colour, your sexuality, your gender that you're assigned at birth. And it's going through them stages that I can't change this about myself and I'm getting demonised or discriminated against for it. So I definitely feel like a straight white man. You've not really had to go through them discriminations because of something that you literally can't change it's just how you're born so I definitely say that but again it's it's so much getting better I have more and more productive conversations and they're more willing to learn and I think the world that we're living at the moment you know you can't have them opinions and stigmas so much anymore so I think it's more people that did or people that didn't think that they needed to be educated in it are more open to being like right okay so this is more of an everyday thing it's more mainstream you know how can I become even more accepting or just educate myself more about the certain subjects and people. Lauren I mean the reason I asked this question is because a gay woman friend of mine told me that uh, in her business life she was more aware of prejudice coming from heterosexual women within the business environment than men. I don't know if that's true or not but I would like your view on that. No, I can't say that I've ever had any prejudice from heterosexual men or women. I don't have an answer for that. Okay. I'd like to now discuss whether there are terms that used to be used quite commonly and now should be designated as things that you should either not use at all or use in a very, very specific situation. And so I don't know, I will say it and then ask you whether it should be called something else. So is dyke offensive? Should it be called the D word? Should it carry the same sort of stigma as the N word or the P word? It sounds offensive to me, but I don't know whether some women potentially embrace the fact that they're called that word or not, but it feels like, yeah, we should drop that word, definitely. Vicky, do you have an opinion? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think every time I've heard it being used outside of the community, it's been kind of used as a derogatory term, as much as what the N-word and other words have been used as and it's about members of the community might use it because they're reclaiming it but if you're not a part of that community and using it it's got negative connotations behind it so it's just kind of been used negatively for years and still continue to do so so yeah I don't think it's it's a very I think it's a derogatory term it sounds quite angry to me you know it sounds quite offensive well that's cleared that up for me anyway is there anything else do you think Lauren that uh, as an industry we could be doing, and I know this is not just in terms of gay women, but, you know, sexual orientation generally to make it easier and more accepting in, you know, a very social industry. Do you think well, there's more that we could do in terms of saying things at awards, et cetera, and that kind of thing? I think sort of more generally, obviously, you know, businesses do this probably as a matter of cause nowadays, but resources, policies, just make sure that they are fully inclusive of LGBTQ plus people. And it might sound really, really obvious, but I'll give you an example. So last week I had my son's school application through the post. And obviously as parents, you have to sign for stuff. And the signature boxes were labelled mother and father. 
forward slash or guardian. So, I mean, that's a minor thing, but those small tweaks, you know, whether it's on a protection application or general insurance application, those types of things where we're considering people's preferences and of how of what they want to be called can feel quite significant to the individuals. So much so that I'm feeling like I don't want to send my son to that school anymore because they're not considering those things. So, yeah, um, and then just more broadly, I think there's a consultation constantly of employees of what inclusion looks like in your organization and more generally i mean it's easy for a place like you ensure because it's a small medium-sized business is to understand the makeup of your staff and that basically helps ensure that we're effectively catering for any needs that they might have and vicky from your perspective is there any other sort of things that we we should be doing as an industry to make be more welcoming be more understanding i'm a big person on education so especially obviously at leeds film site we do have these forums and networks and we do post a lot on like the colleague internet if it's a certain day or just explaining things and just take somebody to read that and be like oh i understand that sexual orientation or i, I understand what it means to a identify as this or what the history behind this certain day means and I think it's just so important to impact it because then people are aware of it and you know sometimes it's before if you've not needed to know then why should you know it's not going to impact you personally but it's just like Lauren said you're then aware of the people around you and it's that unconscious feeling and, and thinking then of Right. Okay. So I've got to create this, I don't know, this this application form for a customer. I've got to update it or a policy. And before it's just been very specific to the two genders. And now it's people are identifying as non-binary and things like that. And it's just using more of a, you know, gender neutral language, maybe in that aspect. Just in, I reviewed the dress code and it, you know, it were quite old fashioned in terms of women don't wear spaghetti strap tops and men don't wear shorts above, things like that. And it's just changing that language to be more inclusive for everybody. So it's not thinking, oh God, well, as a man, I, I might want to wear a spaghetti strap top or as someone that's non-binary, where do I fall into that? And I think when you've got that awareness of it, because you've been educated, things like that just come hand in hand with when things are getting updated, released, or like Lauren said, you know, applications form sent or, you know, things like that. It made me think, actually, when we send out invitations to awards evenings and we say black tie, so that automatically sort of is a telling the blokes what they should be wearing and assumes that women will sort themselves out and that could be looked at in terms of we you know maybe we should say formal evening wear and therefore that means for everybody rather than just telling the blokes hey it's a black tie event and ladies sort yourselves out wear what you want right or pretty prop whatever you know it's ridiculous i think yes a uh, very good point made there Mickey. i just wanted to briefly touch on what we can do as an industry to help and this is going to be quite difficult because obviously in a Western progressive society with a sort of white progressive ethnicity that you both have, it is much harder to be a gay woman if you are from a different, more uh, traditional uh, ethnic background. And you can imagine it with things like honour killings, that are a disgusting term, uh, family murders is what I would call them. But do you think that we do enough or society does enough to reach out to women who are identifying themselves as gay but are, are not in any way kind of in a position to actually come out or do anything about it it is definitely a very difficult i know that there's there's a lot of work isn't it, at the minute with like arranged marriages for young children well forced marriages should i say for for younger children and 
I think it's something that we could reach out on the backside that I think it's just it's one of them hard areas where cultural yes it's it's not correct but how do you go about it in the right way and how can industries or countries for example how do you tackle that without then offending a whole country and things and it's it's so hard I think to tiptoe around cultural and and faith and, and things like that without overstepping the mark with how they traditionally do things but it is such a need for people who are crying out for help and they can't escape and the risk the lies every day you know I'm, I'm sat here moaning about someone saying that I don't look like a lesbian and there's people out there that can't even say the word without having repercussions and it's just so hard how you tackle that because I think people think that oh it's a modern world but for, in a lot of countries and in a lot of places that is not the case at all so it's definitely something that needs to be tackled as to the how it's something that I, I, I wouldn't be able to comment on with the best way to get that done it's such a, a good question because there's apparently 70 countries still across the world that criminalize same-sex relationships and then the death penalty in those countries i think occurs in around 11 so i mean that is insane uh, you can't get your head around it and i think absolutely we should be looking at ways of how we can help that but the same as vicky really is how we do that we need to consider well all i can say is thank you very much for your educative and considered thoughts and it's good that a part of our industry and our society is being more open and understanding of the lbgtq plus community but uh, it's good that you have an awareness that there are people who are not as free to express themselves and their orientation as they could be and so that is one of the reasons but intersectionality is a big thing that Div likes to sort of uh, work on. So thank you again, Lauren. Thank you again, Vicky. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And see you next time. Thank you. Bye. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.